Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where you'll learn from the experiences of America's most innovative and successful farmers as they shorten your learning curve, increase your yield, ROI, and profit. This episode of Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Sylvius Financial, the company that offers customized risk management solutions for your farming operation. Sylvius Financial integrates crop insurance with government programs and grain and cattle marketing to achieve profitability for your farm. And now, here is your host, Damian Mason. Greetings to another fantastic episode of Cutting the Curve. Today, we're talking about the five biggest commodity marketing mistakes that the good folks at Sylvia's Financial see. All right, let's face it. Agriculture is a business. We're in the business of producing a commodity in general. We're going to speak specifically about the two biggest commodities produced in North America and United States of America, agriculture, corn and soybeans. Corn and soybean marketing. I have been around this my whole life. If you're listening to this, you probably have been also. And we know that we always have this thing. Oh, crap. I sold too soon. I don't know why I pulled the trigger back then. Should have just not done anything and I'd made an extra buck a bushel. We're going to talk about all of those coulda, woulda, shouldas, and the problem with making decisions emotionally. He's making no decisions. We're going to talk about all that stuff. I've got Sean Finley and Bryce Goose. They are risk advisors with Sylvius Financial. It is their job to help you remove the emotion from your business decisions and make your farm have profitable outcomes. Now, do they guarantee profits? They, of course, are going to put an asterisk in there and say, we don't guarantee profits. We tell you how to be profitable. We tell you how to not be stupid. We tell you how to not make the five biggest commodity marketing mistakes that they commonly see in their business. Now, dear listener, they gave me five. And I'm going to tell you that there might be a couple of offshoots from these as we get going, because a couple of these, I actually am going to disagree with them about, but I want to go with number one. And this is for both you guys, Sean and Bryce, by the way, thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having having us. Um, uh, And if you've been a a, a viewer before, dear listener, um, you might notice that a lot of times when Bryce is on here, like the first time he was recording from a closet, he's moved, he's moved houses. He's a young guy. He got married and like he's living on. And I think that he married his girlfriend that then comes with a farm. And I think the in-laws did that thing where they stuck him in an old farmhouse, like (laughs) that the, the, the sharecroppers used to live in. And they've been letting him bump up along. He's sort of like, uh, improving his stake within the within the family, if you will. So if you're watching this, you'll see he actually looks like he's got a nice little office background there. Finally, We're yeah, f- yeah, thanks. We actually got upgraded to a new house, not the sharecropper. So I'm stepping up a little bit, I guess. I also got to tell you that I like the movie poster in the back. He's uh, first of you don't know he's from uh, Indiana, as am I. He's a Purdue guy, as am I. And even though we're Purdue Boilermakers, we're both fans of the movie Hoosiers, which is about the history of Indiana high school basketball. And he's got a movie poster behind him. So uh, awesome for you. Thank you. Number one, five biggest commodity marketing mistakes. Looking in the rearview mirror versus out front. In other words, dwelling on prior sales versus unsold bushels. Sean and Bryce, I already said that in the intro. What in the hell to go and sell that for? It's a dollar fifty more now than it was when I sold. Okay. This is common. It's called seller's remorse. It's called buyer's remorse. It's called uh, post-purchase dissonance. It's that thing when you have this problem in your head and it's because of a decision you made one week, one day, one month, one year ago involved finances. How do you overcome this? 
Yeah, I guess I'll start off by saying just throwing out an example like this year. I mean, what end of last year, beginning of this year, we were looking at 550 corn with these high inputs and we're thinking, oh, well, we got to pull the trigger on some because we can't afford it to go to $3, like what we saw a couple of years back. So it's like at that point in time, that's the best marketing decision that you can make. Now, hindsight, when corn is 720, you don't feel good about it. But most of the time, if you're, hopefully we say that your first sale is your worst sale. I mean, if you sell 10, 10% of your corn at 550, you still got 90% left and hopefully the market did what it did. I mean, rallied two bucks and able to lock in higher profits at those different levels, but you got to start somewhere. Uh, I like it. We like it when your first sale is your worst sale. And it would then make the question, Sean, well, if my first sale is my worst sale, why not just not make the first sale? Which of course, there's always going to be a first sale. So that's kind of a silly thing to say. But anyway, why, why would you tell me, uh, no, that's all right. Just do it because because you have the benefit of hindsight, you know, where you're at today, you know, you can always look back and regret whatever decision you made because prices went up or, you know, really feel good about yourself when it goes down. But, you know, if you knew now what you thought you knew then, you know, the decision would be completely different. Like Bryce said, you know, we're helping guys manage, you know, I mean, we call them farms, but they're big business now. And, you know, you're managing lots of dollars, lots of risk. And, you know, the goal is to not, hit the high every single time and risk the boat, the goal is to make money and, you know, make small incremental steps to kind of achieve in that goal. You'd like to ring the bell. You'd love to say, and this is with everything. Well, I bought Apple computer at such and such. Well, you'd have had to have bought it like in 1981 when they first brought the Apple uh, two uh, uh, <laughs> desktop into Northwest elementary school when I was a kid before you guys were even born to have really bought it at the low to feel good about it. And the hell of it is. And if you'd have retained it by about somewhere in the year, like uh, 1999, you said, why did I keep that? Because I lost. Anyway, the point is it's always a moving target. Hindsight is always 2020. As we say, I would say this though, it is normal to have this, um, problem where you bump yourself, you beat yourself up about a decision you made back then. So what is your advice to clients? I heard Bryce say, well, you made the decision based on the, the information then. Still doesn't make you feel any better. I wish I hadn't bought something uh, during the dot-com craze. You know, that, that's an example. What are you telling me from a sensible, logical standpoint about the money? I feel like it's always better for us to show, yes, you made that sale and you've lost X amount of dollars on that sale, but how much more profit are we looking at today versus what we were six months ago? Yes, we sold the 550 corn, say we sold 10%. Okay, how much more money have we picked up on, on the 90%? Kind of show that landscape to them. Yes, we've lost this, but we've also gained this. I guess I was going to throw another one. You didn't really lose it. You just didn't participate in more, upside. more, more upside, right? Correct. Yeah, you don't you don't lose on a sale that you make that's profitable. You just miss out on potential upside, right? But it's also Correct. very hard to look at a dollar. It's also very hard to let's say look at a dollar seventy uh, per bushel and say put a dollar seventy over two hundred bushels. That's uh, last my math. I think that's three hundred forty dollars. That that's 
a huge amount of profit. Uh, in fact, that could be all profit if the 550 ended up covering your, uh, you know, your, your cost. Um, unsold bushels. Let's talk about that though. Now you've already, you've already talked me off the ledge and said, I know Damien, you could have made more on those. You could have made more on those bushels that you sold for 550. Now, what about the unsold stuff? Then why, why do I not just say, yeah, well, you know what? You people screwed me up before and cost me what could have been a buck 70. Now, you know what? I'm not going to sell nothing because I don't think you know what you're talking about. Walk me off that ledge. Sean. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I think as far as, you know, with the unsold bushel discussion, you know, it's kind of talking, okay, this is where we started, you know, as Bryce alluded to, this is where we've come. This is the amount of revenue and profit that your farm has, you know, increased over, you know, since our last sale, you know, kind of putting those numbers in front of the producer, you know, and really kind of talking and helping them get to, you know, making a decision that benefits their operation. So what do I do then about my unsold bushels? Um, I, you know, I missed out on before and sometimes there's this thing, well, now I've got to make up, you know, it's like the guy that loses a hundred dollars at the blackjack table. He thinks, well, now I got to make up a hundred bucks. So I got to start changing my strategy. Your recommendation, Bryce. That's where we start talking about where you have to try your best to take the emotion out of it. Now we don't want to go in and sell 90% of your crop at once. We like to do it in increments. So Okay, if we sold some at 550, we hit 750. Okay, maybe look at selling another 10, 15 percent. I mean, you can't really do a blanket recommendation. It's more of our job to kind of lay out the market landscape to you and say, hey, we just made new highs. Market could go here as far as the upside, but we do have risk down to here. What do you like that on your farm? How much are you willing to risk versus how much are you wanting to be safe and lock in? more profit on your farm. You mentioned emotion, and that brings me to the number two thing. I appreciate that answer, by the way. Uh, overcoming emotion of margin calls. All right, first off, uh, a margin call for the person that says, hey, I'm new. I listen to the extreme ag cutting the curve because I'm farming with my parents and I, I love the agronomics, but I'm still learning about the marketing. What's a margin call, Sean? Uh, when you have a hedge on in a brokerage account and the position goes against you and you have to basically pay the difference to the brokerage company to cover that position. Okay. I, I said, I'm going to sell something. And then what happens? I'm going to sell it at what? If you sell a futures contract of corn at 720 and corn goes up to 10 cents to 730 the following day, you owe 10 cents of margin money to the brokerage account. Okay. Of course, that gets emotional because it's not just emotional, it's financial. And you said that one of the biggest mistakes that you see is is, is that they can't overcome that emotion. Well, of course not. I just, you just took money off my you just took money off my plate. Yeah. And, you know, kind of like what Bryce was, you know, the example that Bryce was talking about earlier, you know, if a guy's let's just say, for example, a guy is 20 percent hedged with futures contracts in his brokerage accounts. And he grows 100,000 bushels and corn, you know, grows, goes up 10 cents a bushel. You know, he owes that margin money on 20% of his production. And what we see a lot of times is producers get real emotional and upset over that amount and kind of forget that the other 80% of their bushels are feeling 100% of that upside. So they're kind of focusing on the small number when it's a big number behind the scene that is, you know, really moving the needle. 
Got it. So um, overcoming the emotional margin calls, Bryce, um, you're, you're saying that this is a mistake that people make, but also humans are emotional beings. They're not rational. They're not logical. They're emotional. Now, everybody's going to disagree with that, or at least the logical and rational ones are, but let's face it. I always say people buy on emotion and then they justify it with uh, facts. Uh, I took an advertising class once that said half of the advertising out there is just to make people feel good about what they already did. And they'll do it with a few pieces of facts. Well, did you know this? I'm like, yeah, but that's not why they bought it. They bought it because of emotion. Am I right? Yeah. And then that's the, what we're trying to say here about overcoming is they do, they enter this position. It goes against them initially they panic because they're sending in money every single day or every other day. So then they hurry up and get out of it, get out of it at a loss. And then it goes back down of where you wanted it to go. So not only did you, you're, you're losing twice, you're losing the first time of you getting into it, going against you, you closing out and then it going back to where it was. Or two is a lot of guys do this for one year. They have a bad experience and then don't ever want to hear out, the next strategy dealing with margin, like, no, I don't want anything marginal. I just want to buy puts or sell cash and that's okay. But you might just be missing out on a few strategies by shying away from margin. Got it. Uh, Sean, anything else on that? I got to tell you, I got to tell you, based on what we just discussed, if I was a grain producer, I would probably just avoid margin calls because I'm afraid that that, that part of it right there that you just said, I would have a hard time with it. I wouldn't be able to focus on my operation and I would not be able to sleep sometimes. So maybe I'm screwy, but also maybe there's a lot of people like me, Sean. There, there is a lot of people like you. And, you know, we, we talk about this with clients. There's no right position or right trade for everyone. You know, it's finding the tool that works best for your farm. Um, and, you know, if, if a marginal position is too much for a producer and they can't overcome that emotion, yeah. you know, it's just a losing proposition. Um, but, you know, it's trying to tie all the pieces of the financial picture of your farm together um, and, you know, make sure we make the best decision that we can. Yeah, Bryce, uh, see, Sean's okay with me being uh, a scaredy cat and admitting admitting that my emotions are such that while I, I, I do have rational, logical thoughts, I also know that if I can't sleep at night, it ain't worth it. Am I right? Yeah, and then it, it's kind of our job, too, to, to understand the client, too. Some guys are willing to take the risk and are okay with being margin penny for penny, where there's other people that don't want any margin, but some are okay with some. So just kind of finding that balance. Yes, I'm okay with having margin and having that risk, but I don't want it beyond a penny for penny. So futures aren't, aren't the thing for me. Now options, I might be okay with that because it's not dollar for dollar, penny for penny. It's just kind of understanding what the client is okay with. That's an important aspect of it. All right. Number three, Trading to make money instead of hedging. Wait a minute. Somebody smart, I think his name was Sean Finley, when we began this thing, said, you know, we talk about managing the farm, but let's face it, these are big businesses. Okay, here in the Midwest where Bryce and I are, I don't know, let's say we got neighbors down here, farm a few thousand acres, a few thousand acres. I can tell you what land values are. You're talking about, you know, $10,000. There's, you know, 
millions of dollars right there just in the capital and the assets. And then you talk about the, the, the operating loans and you talk about the machinery and then now the price of diesel, we're about $5.39 or something here recording this in the summer of 2022. What the hell's wrong with making money? You told me this is a business, Sean. Why are you now telling me it's wrong to trade to make money? I like making money and I don't know if I'm going to take any more of your advice on this, Sean, because you tell me that it's a mistake to trade to make money. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, kind of what, what it's getting at is, you know, as a farmer, they are inherently long corn. You know, the second you plant corn, you have price risk of it going down. Yeah. You know, so what we see a lot of times is farmers that think the price of corn is going to go up or hope it does. So they buy corn on the board or take a position to make money when it goes up, but they already have that risk just because they're farming. So, you know, what our goal is, is to help them understand the difference between trading and hedging, because hedging, you're protecting that money that you generate as corn goes up because you are already inherently long and, you know, not trying to add risk based on what we feel markets could or should do. Got it. Okay. So I think what I just heard there, Bryce, and you can help me because you and I, you know, we're Purdue guys. We speak the same language here. We're, 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 we're native born Indiana guys. Um, he's saying that there's people that are, are trying to even, even do better than the corn they have in the ground. And they're trying to uh, start swapping contracts around versus just saying, no, I'm in the business. And my job is to hedge against catastrophic uh, losses with the crop that I have. Is that what he's saying? Yeah. And another way to put it is just speculative trading. I mean, just like with stock markets kind of co, I mean, they are speculating corn is going higher. So they're not really, they're not thinking about the risk that they have in the field. They're just thinking of what they think the market is going to do. They, they look at the situation in Ukraine and say, I don't think Ukraine's going to export any corn and corn's going to 10 to 10 bucks. Yep. So they're like, well, I'm just going to buy futures or buy calls because I think it's going straight up. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they, they need to take a step back and realize I might think that, but what if it doesn't? Mm-hmm. And I'm not only long the bushels that I have out in the field, but I'm also long in the brokerage account and on paper as well. So I could hit, get hit tw- twice versus just once. Okay, so a person that, uh, uh, Bryce, because you're the expert on this topic here, um, if I, first off, uh, there's people that have money and they want to they want to turn their money into money. Uh, that's the whole concept uh, from from going into scheme, scheme and scam investments to just even going and talking to your stockbroker. Well, you've got this money. Your money's supposed to work for you. That's a big thing they say, right? Your money's supposed to work for you. Am I supposed to make you money? Why? What if I do want to be a trader? What if I do want, I mean, obviously you have people that have accounts there. So what if I do want to be a trader? You said that a mistake is to trade to make money instead of hedging. What about if I just want to be a trader and make money? What's your, you can help me there too, right? Oh yeah, we we definitely have guys that do that. I mean, we have people that are just straight speculative accounts and they want to trade what they think the market's going to do versus protecting. I mean, we even have some farmers, they have an account for their farm for them to hedge, but they also have, a separate account for speculative positions where they think the market is going. We're just trying to just show them like, Hey, we have to make them aware of what they are doing versus I mean, because some guys think 
oh, well, wheat's limit down for two days. I, I think wheat's going back up. What do you think? Well, there might be a chance wheat bounces. Okay, okay, buy me five, five tracks. And they're not even growing wheat. And that's okay because that's what you're saying. Money talks and use your money to make money. It's just knowing you're not doing this to protect your farm. You're doing this as a risk to make some more money. I was in Vegas once, and I think this is an important thing, Bryce and Sean. So uh, you're playing roulette, and the marble falls on red six times in a row. It has to go green next time, right? Because green is due. Am I right, Sean? Not always. <laughs> isn't isn't it isn't it have to? Because doesn't the board doesn't that little wheel know that it's been red six times in a row? Therefore, it has to turn green, doesn't it? It it. it it's you, you kind of hear my hesitation, but you know that's where, what what a lot of times when we get in these speculative conversations right, with guys right. is you know they say it has to. Well, I mean it, it might, but you know <laughs> can you withstand if it goes like in your example red four times in a row? Can you withstand that loss? Yeah, you know it's kind of finding that balance. Which is by the way why I posed it that way because the reality is thinking uh, I remember once telling a stock market advisor to me that uh, they wanted to put me into this stock and I had read a couple of articles and I and they said this was once a seventy five dollar stock and you're down here at twenty. I said, does that stock remember that it's supposed to be a $75 stock? Does it does it possess a, a cognition that says, hey, wait, I'm a $75 stock? That stock doesn't know anything, just like that marble on the roulette table, and frankly, just like the wheat markets, right? It doesn't remember that it's supposed to be what the person says it's supposed to be at. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, and yeah, to kind of go off of that, we aren't we don't tell you to not to do it. Our job is just to tell you the risk of where it could go if you want to look into strategies like that. It's more of just knowing what the potential is. All right, so this is we're going to toss it back to Sean. I thank you very much, Bryce. Since Bryce and I are buddies, I don't mind arguing with Sean because this is the number four biggest mistake that you see at Sylvia's Financial. Biggest of the five biggest commodity market mistakes that you see, you're telling me number four is selling for cash flow and tax purposes instead of a marketing plan. You know what? I've been running my own small business for 29 years. I know the value of cash flow. I know when I need money coming through, I got to do what I do to make it happen. I also know that I don't can't get ahead if I'm giving all my money to Uncle Sam. What's wrong with me selling for cash flow and tax purposes? Why are you picking on me when I am trying to run my business? Uh, you know, a lot of, you know, kind of what we see a lot of time is guys making selling decisions kind of around two times of year, you know, harvest when they actually get their physical bushels out of the field yep. and, you know, kind of early spring, you know, whether it's February, March, when land payments or equipment payments come due seasonally, those are not the, strongest time in markets. That's not the highest times that we normally see. So the, the, two, the, the two times again are when the crop comes out? And, and harvest, yep. And in like February, March, kind of pre-planting when a lot of expenses come due. Okay. So that's when they say, I need money. Yeah. And that's a lot when a lot of people sell. Um, if you go back to 1980, over 17 years, the high in corn has been in June and July. So you're taking right off the bat, you're missing almost half the year's high just because you're selling for cash flow and tax purposes. And, you know, well, guys will say, well, I don't know what I have until it's out of the field. That's why we buy crop insurance. And people will delay making a sale because they don't want to take a money, you know, in this calendar year. That's fine. But you can always still sell the bushels or sell a futures contract. And if you have the bushels sold at the elevator, you can always defer the money till next year. So there's a ways around that, you know, and 
futures markets, basis, and spreads all have different times of the year that they perform the best. And the goal is to have a marketing plan built around those. And I don't want to say figure out the cash flow and the taxes later, but, you know, there's ways around, especially, you know, taking money in calendar years versus next. Bryce, you got anything on that? Yeah, just kind of like what he was saying, just because you are selling the corn in July, you don't have to sell it based off of the the December timeframe harvest delivery. You can delay that and sell it, say, for May delivery the following year. Like what he said, there's ways around. You don't have to get the money this year, but you can still sell this year's corn at a later date sure. at typically the seasonally the higher price. Yeah, so that's for the tax purposes, but about the cash flow, I mean, let's face it, there is a big squeeze and you're saying, I can see where uh, an operator wouldn't want to go get a big operating loan. Well, you know what? It'd be a bad time to sell because here we are, like you said, let's say it's March, I'm heading into, uh, you know, Sean, I'm heading into planting and I need to buy all my chemicals and some of the stuff I pre-bought last year to get it off my books for tax purposes, but damn it, I still need half a million dollars. I've got bins over there that are full. Why would I borrow money when I can just sell those? And you would say? You know, I, and I, I wouldn't talk a client out of that, but kind of going back to, you know, the number one thing that we talked about looking in the rear view mirror versus looking ahead, you know, if a client makes that decision and sells for tax flow purposes, Yep. You know, we have to look at the numbers and say, you know, odds are six months down the road, you might not like this decision. You know, so we kind of have to put that expectation in front and, you know, kind of tackle that head on. And if they can't be okay with that and they are selling physical bushels at those times, we might want to look at re-ownership strategies, you know, to kind of play on the seasonals that corn typically has. Yeah. And that's the best part. I mean, even though humans are emotional, if you keep showing them enough charts and say, let me tell you why not to sell in March. And the answer is, look at this chart. And the chart's going to say, give me that thing again about the June and July. Uh, over seven, I think it's over 17 years since 1980, the corn high has been in June and July. Okay, so 17 out of 42. So yeah, about what 42% of the time. What about the what about the is there ever been a time when it has been high at March? Was there ever a time when it was smart to sell in March? Uh there, I think might have been one or two years, maybe. Yeah. Let's so see. again, one one or two out of 42 times is still only about four. Uh, There's been four, four. Okay, so 10% of the time versus about 40 some percent of the time. So playing the odds, which is what you're supposed to do, uh doing that. Five biggest commodity marketing mistakes we see. Bryce, let's go back to you. Uh, not having an open mind to use different tools. Different tools. Well, wait a minute. What are we talking about here? Is this some of this fancy stuff? You're going to come in here, all this crazy stuff, like you did the last time we recorded. You started throwing out terminology that I didn't know anything about. What are we talking about different tools? It's kind of what we talked about the last time on the 101, the marketing 101 is don't do everything like what your dad did or your grandfather did and just be have an open mind to looking at different strategies versus I'm only selling at harvest and that's all I'm doing. I mean, look at, we talked about hedge to arrive contracts the last podcast. We've talked about a little bit of those other tools that we could do just to give yourself some upside or give yourself better downside protection as the growing year goes versus just committing the bushels of harvest. I mean, be open to buying a put, buying a call, and just having an open mind to even just kick the tires and look at those strategies instead of just saying no. 
Yeah, and and I already told you that back to uh, your number uh, your number two about the margin calls and the emotion that goes with that. I'm I'm fairly simple. I, I just can say it. If I was a producer, I'd avoid those, and I gave you the reasons why. Um, these people that avoid some of the different tools, as you call them, probably are doing so. Is it because of fear? Is it because they don't fully understand it? Is or you think it's because they're too fixed in their ways? I, I think I know what my answer is. But I want to hear yours first. I think it's fear and not understanding, kind of a combination of those both, because their fear is, okay, I might spend 40 cents on this option and it expire completely worthless. So there's a fear of that. And then there's also a fear, well, I don't know how much corner beans I'm actually going to produce this year. So I don't want to protect bushels that I don't know that I'm going to have. John, what, what do people avoid different tools? I, I found that a lot of people avoid tools that left a bad taste in their mouth from trying it the previous time they either didn't have something explained correctly to them they got or, they got burned or they for or even just they simply forgot why they did it in the first place like that example that bryce said with a put expiring worthless everybody complains about it and rightfully so i mean you lost money but the reason you did that was to hopefully capture a higher price and you know, most of the time that's why a put expires worthless but people kind of forget that decision that they made six months ago why they did that you put expired worthless but it ended up that it was a good thing that it did because you made more money because it did right puts expire worthless if prices go higher yeah i i would see i would see the different tools thing as there's a tremendous amount of complexity and i figure if i've got to be the business person i've got to meet with the banker i've got to meet with my landlords i've got to be a part-time agronomist maybe a full-time i've got to talk to my crop consultant i've also got to make sure the machinery's going maybe i have a couple of employees i've got to make sure that i'm a manager there's a lot of hats to be worn and of course you're saying hey we're Sylvie's financial we'll take that we'll take that commodity marketing part of it and help you but then there's probably, I'm guessing, a reluctance to cede or uh, give up control. I'm already in charge of every other aspect of my operation. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to give this up. So, what's your answer to the operator that says, "Well, I know you're the expert on this, but I'm not sure I fully understand these uh, different tools." And nine years ago, I got burned when I did something like that. So here we are. So your response, of course, you're sitting there at the kitchen table with that operator or in their farm office, and you're going to say what? I feel like too. We have gotten that. But a lot of those guys that are more hands-on and want to keep the cards close to their chest, what they like is having someone to bounce their ideas off of. I mean, everyone likes to be able to blame someone else for a decision that they make down the road, to be completely honest. Like, oh, well, I'm looking at 550 corn. Sean, do you think that's a good idea for me to do here? I mean, okay, let's look at something else. Okay, we might not sell cash here, but what if we buy a put and let ourselves get some upside instead? Oh, well, I, I didn't think of that. I think some of it, some guys don't like to be told what to do. But they like to have a soundboard to bounce ideas off of versus, hey, hey, Damien, I think that you should buy 100 of these five these 550 puts for 50 cents. And that, that's what you should do versus hearing them out and coming up with different solutions for them. Yeah, yeah. Sean, you got anything to contribute on that? Different tool, hey, different tools, let's face it. Even to people that are somewhat agriculturally knowledgeable, it can be a little overwhelming. You know, there's a lot of different, you've got a lot of different things in your toolbox that you do while it's all part of a commodity marketing plan. It's, it's got some, it's got some, shall we say, complexity to it. 
It, it definitely has complexity. And I would say some of the best relationships that I have with the guys that I work with are ones that we go back and forth with. It's not me telling them this is what you should do or the, them telling me this is the only way I will market my grain. It's, you know, okay, let me learn what has worked well for you. Here's an idea that I'm throwing at you. Let's sit at the table, kind of cuss, discuss, rip it apart and build something together that, you know, you know, what I'm, what I'm seeing in the market and how I want to, would like to structure hedges for what fits your operation and trying to mold that piece together. Bryce, that's a pretty good uh, wrap up on that one. Do you got anything to wrap up on the usage of different tools as in different instruments? It's really what we're talking about. It's commodity marketing instruments that can be offered by an organization like Sully's Financial that give you even more arrows in your quiver, right? Yeah, I, I think it's just totally us understanding the client and learning their past and why they don't want to touch those tools and kind of come up with different ways to to go around that, I should say, or kind of just find good strategies that fit the mold for their farm and business. You gave us the five biggest commodity marketing mistakes we see. And I guess the big general one, the one that's overarching, I would say, is that you don't have a commodity marketing uh, plan at all. Is that, is that one? Is that one? Is that, that's one you didn't even come up with here. These were 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 1E. Yeah. <laughs> um, going out and growing it and then saying, we'll see what happens. Um, sounds a little bit uh, 100 years ago. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. And with, I mean, with the tools we have, with, with what we have today and the crop insurance we have, I mean, if you know your bottom lines and know your cost, I mean, there is a way to at least have yourself break even during these times if you are on top of it and are aware of all the programs that are out there you know, for the most well, part. I think I'd also say that what uh, Sean kicked off the thing with, this is a business, you know, these numbers are big. Uh, we're talking about $7.20 corn right now, just to use that as an example. We're also talking about glyphosate at the beginning of the year, uh, 2022 was four to five times what it had been just one year ago. Um, we're talking about, they're talking about eight to 9% inflation in the general marketplace, but I can look at agricultural inputs that have done, uh, you know, more than 8%, I'm talking eight times on some of them, you know, fertilizers up two and a half times in some places. I think to go into this without really looking at the commodity marketing part of it is probably foolish based on the amount of upfront money we're talking about spending. Am I right? Yes. And, you know, kind of, you know, it's a lot of what I would say a lot of the emotion comes from is because, you know, when we look at farms, you know, we think of, you know, family farms and, you know, this is stuff that was passed down from generation to generation, you know, but what we're trying to do is have people look at this like a full fledged running business, which it is, and making decisions on numbers versus, you know, just pure emotions, but it's, it's impossible to remove all of them, yeah. but, you know, try and look at the numbers as best you can. Yeah, would Procter would Procter what would Procter and Gamble do? <laughs> what, would, what would what would a what would a large organization that has people in charge of the commodity marketing stuff there? So yes, the big the big mistake that I thought that should have been there was just having no marketing, no commodity marketing initiative at all. These guys are Sean Finley and Bryce Goose. They are with uh, Sylvia's Financial. Sylvia's Financial is a company that integrates commodity marketing, as we've just been talking about, with crop insurance and government programs. That's the the unique value proposition this company brings. Is they integrate everything. Bryce can sit down with you. Sean can sit down with you. 
with you and say, all right, here's the commodity marketing aspect and here's the crop insurance aspect of it. And here's the government program part of it. We'll put it all together and we'll figure out how to keep you profitable. That's what they do. If they want to find you, where do they find you to? Um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and also on our website, sylviasfinancial.com. sylviasfinancial.com. Uh, look them up. They'll help you out. Until next time, Bryce and Sean, thanks for getting here. And by the way, Bryce, I'm telling you, I'm very happy about the backdrop. Your office is starting to look like a, a professional office that you can actually go in there. You know what? A long time ago, they taught me, uh, you know, you can work in a TV tray if you have to. But when you're in the surrounding that makes you feel good, you're more productive, aren't you? Hey, if you thought I sounded better today, then I think it's working. I'd say it's worth it too, man. All right, Sean, thanks for being here. Bryce, thanks for being here. Till next time. It's Cutting the Curve brought to you today by Silly's Financial. That's a wrap for this edition of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, brought to you by Sylvius Financial. Sylvius advisors show business-minded farmers how to integrate government programs with crop insurance, as well as crop and cattle marketing to achieve positive financial outcomes. Learn more at sylviusfinancial.com.